Hello, I am your host, Samuel Hansen, and you are listening to Strongly Connected Components, episode 41, brought to you by AcmeScience.com. On today's episode, I am joined by University of Pennsylvania's Andrea Mitchell University professor Robert Greist for a discussion about how one goes from engineering into mathematics, just how you can apply topology, and a funny little calculus text. Here we go. Hello and welcome to Strongly Connected Components. My guest on today's episode is Robert Greist, the Andrea Mitchell University Professor of Mathematics and Electrical Systems Engineering at the University of Pennsylvania. Hello and welcome to the show. Thank you. Now, I, I want to I start out with a question about something I, I found slightly odd. I, admittedly, uh, looking at your career, there's a few things that I definitely don't quite understand, but one that I, that I really quite surprised me was looking at your CV, you did your bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering, and then you went on to get a master's and a PhD in applied mathematics. Now, that's uh, about the opposite of the path that I have seen uh, a lot of people take. What made you decide to go from engineering into math instead of the other direction? Well, I guess I have to begin by saying what made me go into engineering first, which was that my father was an engineer, and I heard that if you're interested in math and science, then engineering is a good major. I started off there, had you know, had a bit of a crisis uh, midway through undergraduate times where I wasn't sure whether to switch out into mathematics, which I was finding increasingly interesting and beautiful, or whether to switch into philosophy or literature or any of a number of other things that were interesting. I decided to stay in engineering because there were a lot of opportunities to do uh, undergraduate research projects and just tinker and play with stuff, which was what I was really interested in. But I never got over the pull, uh, the mostly aesthetic pull that mathematics had on me. I was blessed with a number of excellent teachers as an undergraduate at the University of Toledo. And so when it came time for graduate school, I had to decide whether to stay in engineering or move to mathematics. And I decided that applied mathematics was a good compromise. Now, you mentioned in your answer there that one reason that you decided to stay in engineering was this idea of being able to uh, play with things. Now, this is something I, I've noticed as a conversation that's been going on on uh, the math chat stream on Twitter recently, is, is this idea of math and play. How, how important was the idea of being able to play with things in your education so far? That was extremely important. I didn't learn a ton of mathematics when I was an undergraduate, at least not the kind that you learn from books or classes, but I learned a ton of mathematics by playing with stuff. My, my dorm room was 
full of beakers and test tubes where I was mixing different kinds of fluids and looking at soap films and trying to figure out things about turbulence and bubbles and all kinds of stuff. I, I was just fascinated with that. And a lot of the attraction that mathematics in general and topology in particular had on me came from just playing around with fluids, with other physical systems, and getting that stuff inside my head to the point where I knew I needed mathematics in order to understand this stuff. You are perhaps uh, the most intriguingly titled mathematician I've, I've ever talked to as, as far as the area in which you study, because you study something that is a called uh, that it, you are calling applied topology, which is not something that I imagine most of the people listening are is even aware is actually an applied subject. So how did you go taking uh, the things in topology, which are generally considered other than say foundations, one of the most pure areas of mathematics and, and uh, apply it to uh, really interesting real world problems. A lot of it comes from an unusual background, a background in applications, uh, but a, a strong aesthetic pull towards topological ideas in mathematics. I knew from very early on when I encountered topology as an undergraduate that this was something that was extremely beautiful and extremely difficult to learn, it seemed at the time, and it still kind of seems that way. Uh, but I knew it had to be useful. I, I can remember there was this uh, book that I got out of the, the math library when I was an undergraduate. It was called Topology, and it was by Hawking and Young. And I, I tried reading the book, but didn't have the background for it. You know, I got through a thing or two here or there. Didn't really understand the mathematics to the point where I could do it myself. But this book had pictures, lots of amazing pictures in it. And I got those pictures in my head. And I knew, I knew that the concepts that they were illustrating were fundamental and important and useful. And it took a long time to get to the point where I was actually able to use these concepts from this and other branches of topology. That's the, that's the short answer. I'll stop it there. <laughs> now, a few of the... the I, I was just wondering if you could maybe give give a little bit broader, a little bit deeper of an answer perhaps into a, a few of the things that you have found that topology uh, can let you solve uh, in the real world. So topology is the study of, of abstract spaces and mappings or transformations between them. It is, uh, oh, in, in layman's terms, it's like doing geometry without coordinates. It is completely qualitative. It is descriptive. It, it, it tells you what a space looks like without actually having to get out a ruler and measure things. It is integrative in the sense that it is the mathematics of going from local information to global understanding of a space or of a mapping between spaces. And because of those two properties, being uh, qualitative and descriptive and being integrative, it's extremely important in a lot of modern problems uh, coming from data, coming from uh, engineering. 
I guess we're all used to and accustomed to the idea that mathematics is very applicable in physical sciences, uh, physics, chemistry, uh, even biology to an increasing extent. Uh, but a lot of these tools that are getting applied are very, very old, stemming from calculus and analysis, stemming from algebra, stemming from probability. The branches of mathematics that I am interested in, namely topology and to a lesser extent geometry, these tools are newer. Topology is only a little over 100 years old, properly speaking, and they've not had sufficient time and development to really cross the fence over into applications yet. That certainly does not mean that they're not applicable. Even a tool that's not applied may still be applicable. Topology is very rapidly moving from the applicable to the applied column because of its properties, because it's so very descriptive, because it's so very integrative. If you look at the kinds of problems that applied mathematics was concerned with half a century ago, these were problems very strongly grounded in the physical sciences. How do we optimize the shape of the airplane wing? How do we extract the image from uh, radar? If you look at those problems that are really at the forefront of what we need to deal with now in applied mathematics, they're much more connected to problems of data. They're not so much problems in XYZ coordinates. They're problems in spaces with hundreds or thousands of dimensions. The problems that we deal with now have a lot to do with network data, be it sensor networks, be it social networks. These are problems of going from local information, I, I know me, I know my friends, you've got your friends, they've got their friends, to some sort of global understanding. How does the network behave? How does the network integrate and solve problems? It's really the right time to start using the mathematics that was built to deal with problems of going from local to global. That's squarely where algebraic topology sits, and that's what I'm doing is trying to push those tools over the fence into applications. Your position at the University of Pennsylvania is known as the Penn Integrates Knowledge Professorship, correct? That's correct. Now, I, I was wondering what exactly that position entails beyond just, of course, being a professor. This is a wonderful program that was initiated oh, about five years ago by the president of the University of Pennsylvania, Dr. Amy Gutman. She, in response to the increasing fragmentation that, that one sees in academia, established a set of positions that were not just between two departments, but rather between two colleges. So my position is 50% in mathematics, in uh, arts and sciences, and 50% in electrical and systems engineering in the College of Engineering. So it spans two colleges and not just two departments. There are other PIK or Penn Integrating Knowledge professors on campus that might say span the medical school and the biology departments 
or the anthropology school, and again, the medical school, or business and psychology. We're up to oh, about a dozen such positions right now. Mine is the only one that incorporates uh, a partnership with mathematics, which would seem to be a good central core department for doing integrated science, generally speaking. Uh, I'm very, very happy to have this position and, and very grateful for the uh, generosity of Andrea Mitchell, who has, who has funded this. So it's Samuel popping in here to remind you about the AcneScience.com Kickstarter project, Relatively Prime. We're about halfway through the run of this project, but we've not yet gotten to half of the amount of money we are hoping to get. So please head on over to Kickstarter and search Relatively Prime and support us. Now, if you don't yet know what Relatively Prime is, it's a project of eight audio documentaries about mathematics. And in order to produce these documentaries, which I guarantee you, you want to hear because they're going to be great, I need money. Acme Science needs money in order to do this. So please head on over to Kickstarter, search Relatively Prime, and give $1, $5, $500, whatever you can afford. Every little bit helps. And if you've already done this, and I expect all of you to please do this, Advertise it on Twitter. Write a blog post about it. Please write a blog post about it. Put it, upvote it on Reddit. Submit it to slash stop, boing, boing. Anything you can do to help get the word out there is going to help this project. So once again, that's a Kickstarter project called Relatively Prime. And if you want a direct link, it's bit.ly slash relprime. That's bit.ly slash relprime. So now, let's get back to this interview. Now, one thing you mentioned in a few of your other answers was the idea that that one that one of the main reasons that you came to study mathematics was this idea of, of aesthetics of beauty. Now, I I hear this a lot, and I I don't disagree with it. I I do find certain areas of mathematics beautiful, I and mean, it's one of the reasons that I say enjoy doing graph theory work. I was wondering if you could give some specific examples of these aesthetic things that really drew you into mathematics. That's a, that's a very personal question. I'm happy to answer it, but my, uh, my answer may or may not make much sense because it is very personal. It's like asking someone what, what are their favorite movies. I can reel off some titles, but that may not have enough information content to really, to really communicate how something can grab you deep inside and express itself as beauty. I can remember as an undergraduate being absolutely intrigued when I ran into knot theory when I could sit down and just, uh, just start drawing some pictures of knots and links on, on a piece of paper. No equations, no, no formulas, no computations. I could just start drawing stuff, and I would be doing mathematics. I would be uh, thinking about things and, and very quickly coming to problems that were unsolved in the area. I, I found that to be such a, such a draw 
that just by doodling on a piece of paper, I was doing mathematics and finding things, finding questions, the answers to which were not known. I found elements of dynamical systems to be extremely beautiful. Everyone's seen the, the pictures associated with chaotic dynamics. I, I can't see how you, you can look at that when you're a kid and not, not be entranced. As time goes on, the delights in mathematics get more rarefied and refined. Right? No one likes scotch the first time they taste it. <laughs> it's an acquired taste. God, I hated chief theory when I first saw it. And I hated it the second time and third time I saw it as well. And now I think it's, it's just a sublime, sublime area of mathematics. It's so very beautiful. But I wasn't able to appreciate it at first. I, I hope people keep that in mind when, you, when they look at certain areas of mathematics that don't immediately draw them in. One other thing that you're doing right now is something that is amazingly odd and amazingly awesome, I, I think would probably be the best way to describe it. And this is something that you're calling the funny little calculus text. Yeah, I knew what you were talking about <laughs> when you said amazingly odd. <laughs> well, it's, I, I can, I can see a lot of, a lot of people thinking, uh, that, but I've, I've gone through, I've looked at the, uh, intro and, and the first chapter. And I, I have to say, I probably would have liked calculus a lot more if I would have studied it from this. Now, this, this, uh, the textbook that you're, you're handwriting on a Fujitsu tablet, correct? That's correct. And, and this is, it, it has uh, drawings, all, all the text is handwritten. There's a bunch of drawings in there and, and it's meant to be a way of, of introducing people to college level calculus. I, what, brought this on as a project that you were you decided to do well i think everyone who is tempted to to write a calculus text is tempted by the the dismal state of existing calculus texts i i found myself over the past decade trying to reform calculus programs at the the schools i was teaching to tune it for the engineering students that I specialize in, in teaching and encountering the problem where I've got a room full of really smart kids who AP'd their way through high school calculus. They can differentiate anything. They can integrate anything you throw at them, but they, they, they don't really know what any of these things mean, right? They were taught computational techniques and not taught concepts. And they were taught to learn by means of pattern matching rather than by deep comprehension. So I found myself writing up lecture notes for my students so that I could get a lot of material down on paper. And if I don't cover it all in class, well, you know, take a look at the lecture notes. I post them online. It turned out to be too slow to latex things. And I wanted to draw lots of pictures because that's how I think. So I got myself a tablet, one of these write-on PCs, they're wonderful, and wrote up my lecture notes, posted them. They were, they were very popular with the students. They liked them a lot. And, you know, I decided to just sit down and uh, try and assemble it into a coherent but short text, something that it wouldn't be the big bulky tome that no one ever reads anyhow. I want this to be something that you sit down, you read a couple of times, 
and each time you read it, you get a little bit deeper. In order to make it something that students will read, well, it ought to be a little bit entertaining, like a good lecture. So I'm making it little and funny, hence the funny little calculus text. I'm afraid it's been slow going because of being busy with research projects and other administrative stuff. But my goal is to oh, get that thing in a nice polished form by the end of summer so that my calculus students in the fall can have something good to work with. I'm going to post it online. I, I don't think I can get any publisher on the planet <laughs> to uh, publish this thing. But I, I think it's better if it's just online and students can download it and use it. Well, I, I have to say it's definitely making me tempted to both revisit calculus and to immediately throw away my Stuart Early Transcendentals 4th edition 35-pound book that I think has broken a couple of bookshelves now. You know, there's a place for the big book. You can't learn calculus without doing lots of problems. Yeah. And those books have great problems. I am not just rehashing the same old material. I'm very much changing the way the calculus is taught. The first thing I do in my calculus classes is Taylor series. We don't do the limits, derivatives, none of that stuff at first. The first thing is Taylor series, not rigorous. We don't talk about sequences and series and convergence tests. Just communicate the idea. If you run into a function, look at its series expansion, play with it as if it were a long polynomial. It, students come to college able to differentiate anything, so it's easy to compute Taylor series. And then, and then, I go back and do calculus. So we talk about limits, and instead of having L'Hopital's rule as this thing that you memorize and who knows why it works, it's obvious when you Taylor expand the numerator and the denominator oh, hey, look at that. If the uh, zeroth order terms vanish, you just look at the first order terms, and that determines the limit. Uh, same thing with, with derivatives, with the second derivative test for when you're graphing a function, when you're doing optimization. All these things make a lot more sense if you think about things from a Taylor series point of view. Since I'm mostly teaching engineers, this is what they're going to do when they graduate anyhow. Whenever they run into a function, they're going to tailor expand it, not worry about whether it converges, chop it off, pretend it's a polynomial. So I'm getting them used to the way that they're going to be doing things anyhow. Hey, well, Professor Grice, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you, and I hope that you have the, the best of luck in uh, all of your summer pursuits as well as uh, finishing up this textbook. Great. Thanks a lot. So that is all the time we have for this episode of Strongly Connected Components. If you want to suggest a guest or leave any feedback about Strongly Connected Components, send me an email, samuel at acmescience.com. And also be sure to head on over to acmescience.com to check out a blog post where you can find links to everything Robert Greist. And also, while you're on the internet and your web browser, make sure to type in bit.ly slash relprime or just head on over to kickstarter.com and search for Relatively Prime to help support Acme Science's wonderful Relatively Prime Kickstarter project. The music on today's podcast was from Hard and Firm. Uh, and the music I'm talking over right now is SP12. We can find over at opsound.org. This podcast is, as always 
license under Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike license, which means you can do a lot of things with it as long as you say that you got it from AcneScience.com. So I want to thank you all so very, very much for listening. I hope that you come back for the next episode of Strongly Connected Components.